Good evening and welcome again to the beginning of this New Year's retreat. It is a delight to be here and a particular delight to see a lot of people that I know very well and love a lot who I get to see sometimes just once a year here at, uh, at this retreat. And if you're new and have not attended before, also welcome to IMS. My name is Jack Cornfield, and I've been teaching and practicing meditation for many years, trying to find in my own life a way to both deepen my understanding of what it is to live from the Spirit and to integrate it, to find a language in a way that allows me and others to really live the awakening in the understanding of the Buddha, the understandings of the great monasteries in Asia, in the midst of our Western life and culture. And I'm joined this year by three very good friends who will be teaching. Uh, John Travis, who is on your far left, who's sitting there, uh, who studied and practiced for more than 20 years, was practicing with the Tibetans and then with the Theravada teacher Goenka and Manindra in India when Joseph and Sharon and others of us first began our practice and done many years of practice and now teaches and lives in the foothills of the Sierras in California. Arena Weissman, who is uh, one of the regular teachers here at um, IMS and also a good friend, who is a Dharma disciple of Ruth Dennison among many teachers uh, over the years, um, and a splendid teacher uh, from South Africa originally. And Rodney Smith, who was on one of the very earliest staffs when IMS was founded and spent a number of years as a monk <coughs> in the monasteries of Southeast Asia uh, and India in training. Um, and now works as a hospice director, has done years and years of work with uh, death and dying, um, and run uh, or taught Dharma and run a Dharma circle or community in the various places where he's lived in Texas and now in Seattle and elsewhere as a teacher for many years. So I'm happy that we're all here to do this together. The New Year's retreat is, in some ways, a very fitting and symbolic time to leave one's daily life in the dark time of the year to turn inward and to take stock or sense the cycle of renewal in oneself, to quiet one's body and heart and mind and to listen in some new way. And it's particularly important in our culture, which is so busy and complex. And I'm sure many of you have a direct experience and reverberation from that in the holiday seasons that have just passed. A good friend of mine has been involved in a project in Ladakh, which is an area of India that borders Tibet, filled with Tibetans the Ladakh project to help preserve culture there. And when she first went to Ladakh 20 or more years ago, when most of us began our, our Dharma practice and training, the people she said she found there were gracious and beautiful and very happy. And they considered themselves rich, rich because they had enough fields to grow barley, and wonderful monasteries with lamas and teachers in them, and the right climate to live in, and villages and families and extended community to care for one another. And she found it a splendid culture to live in. Over the years, as she has returned and worked with this, the Ladakhi culture, she said she flew in last time to India a year or so ago, and was spending time in Leh and then going out to the villages. And that whole sense of 
the psychology of the people of Ladakh had changed in these 20 years. And now when she spoke to people, they would say, oh, we are very poor. We don't have um, wristwatches and nylon parkas and fancy climbing boots um, and electronic calculators. And so our lives are very poor and we have to sell our land or work very hard and go into the cities of India and so forth to get money so that we will be rich. So somehow, often the values of the world and our life get mixed up and confused. And part of coming on a retreat is like riding a sailboat that's been turned over. Uh, It's a way for us to find our own center, to reconnect with what we most deeply know and love in our being. Right next to the Bodhi tree in Bodhgaya, where the Buddha is said to have sat on his night of enlightenment, there's a series of stone lotus flowers carved in stone that are 2,500 years old or close to that, that are set in a row. And it's said it's the place where the Buddha did his walking meditation. You always hear about him sitting under the tree but I'm sure he got bored with sitting like everyone will at some point during this retreat, or at least his body got bored with it, if not his mind. So then he got up to walk. And I really love those stone lotus petals because they are some way, for me, a visible representation of being on the earth and taking each step with a sense of beauty and presence and fullness. And that's really the invitation that is offered to you as you come here to this retreat. You're not in a hurry anymore. You can slow down and take your time putting on your shoes and feel what it's like to tie up the laces instead of thinking about three other places you have to be while you're tying them. Feel the coldness of the door handles or the warmth of the cup of tea, just holding it in your hand for the satisfaction of holding the teacup. For time. So the first sensibility of the retreat is to let yourself settle down, to be present, to reconnect with your inner rhythm, to slow and take your time. As you reconnect, especially in this time near winter, winter solstice, you will discover what is known in every great myth or story of darkness, that within the darkness there comes new revelations and light. That at the time of winter solstice you can begin to use that as the monks do in the rains retreat in Asia. To sit quietly, to walk, and to really pay attention to your heart. To listen in a deep way. Poem from Hermann Hesse. He wrote, sometimes when a bird cries out or the wind sweeps through a tree or a dog howls in the far off distance, I hold still and listen for a long time. My world turns and goes back to the place where a thousand forgotten years ago the bird And the blowing wind were like me, were my brothers and sisters. There's a kind of reconnection with nature, with the trees, with our own breath. All that comes through our quieting our attention. And then, every time one sits in meditation or sits a retreat, we sit and discover that we face what the Buddha did under the Bodhi tree. We feel our breath and body, mind, feelings, thoughts, and we face our birth and our death, our inevitable death, our joys and our sorrows which come. And we, like the Buddha, are asked to discover a compassion and a freedom in the midst of all that arises for us.
in every great culture, it's considered wise to take time alone in solitude, on retreat, on vision quest, regularly to listen, to go out into the woods or to sit with others. And in this time, you'll discover a healing for your body, a stilling, a quieting, a releasing of tension, a settling of the mind, although it may take some days, an opening of your heart, which may be to feel grief and loss that has been there a long time, or joy that you don't let yourself experience, usually, to hear the songs of your life that need to be sung within you. This is an invitation for all of that to open in your attention. As one great Christian mystic and poet said, if in your heart you make a manger for his birth, then God will once again become a child on this earth. In that spirit during this retreat, while we will work primarily with the practice of insight meditation, the foundations of mindfulness, we will try to do it with a ground of loving kindness. We will work every day with a period of guided loving kindness and compassion meditation, giving regular instructions, and use that as a way to train our attention to receive whatever arises with kindness and compassion. We'll go day by day through the systematic teachings of the foundations of mindfulness, working first with the breath and then with the body, pleasure and pain and knots and tightness and all the energies of physical life. And then being aware of the feelings in the heart and of the mind itself and of all of the processes of body and mind. The instructions will be given systematically every morning. In addition, there will be interviews. Uh, for the first uh, interview, the first couple of days, you'll have a group interview, and then there'll be two individual interviews that follow that with us as teachers to ask about or be available uh, to support your practice. You've probably seen the schedule already. It starts with a 5.15 wake up and sitting from 5.45 to 6.30, which we will not do tomorrow morning. Tomorrow morning we'll start with a wake up at 6 and breakfast at 6.30, because a lot of you have traveled quite a distance. But following that, we'll begin an early morning sitting, then breakfast and a period of work meditation where you get a chance to really practice mindfulness through helping in the kitchen or cleaning, using that as a part of meditation. Then sitting in instructions at 8.15 to 9.15, then a walking period and another sitting and another walking and another sitting till lunchtime, a little bit of a break, and then sitting and walking, sitting and walking and sitting until tea time, a bit of a break, and then sitting in a Dharma talk and walking and sitting and walking until bedtime. There really is nothing to do here except <laughs> sit and walk and pay attention. Not going anywhere or doing anything particular. In fact, in some ways, it's the terminally boring day. And if you let yourself be bored properly, something new might come. In addition to the schedule, the interviews, the instructions. We want to be here as teachers for you to support your practice. There is another way in which we create the sacred container of a community for retreats. And that is by undertaking the traditional Buddhist precepts as a way to create safety for us all. So for this time, I would like you to uh, to take within your own heart the following basic moral precepts that are the ground for our respect for life during practice together. <clears throat> 
I undertake the training precept of refraining from killing, not even little creatures. They don't seem to like it, if you haven't noticed. I undertake the training precept of refraining from killing or causing harm to living beings. I undertake the training precept of refraining from stealing or taking that which does not belong to me. Again, it provides a sense of safety in community. I undertake the training precept of refraining from false speech or harmful speech, which will be easy for you. For this time, we'd like you also to undertake the training discipline of being silent, except for interviews or times that you have to talk with the staff or work, but otherwise to use the silence as a support for your attention. I undertake the training precept of refraining from causing any harm through sexual misconduct. Again, that will be easy for you here. You're asked to be celibate for this time and have enough trouble with yourself rather than with yourself and another person. I'm sure you understand what I mean. It's simply a way to stay attentive to our our own experience for this time. And then the last of the training precepts for this retreat period is to refrain from all intoxicants, alcohol, drugs, and and so forth um, that alter consciousness and rather just be here directly with ourselves as we are. In addition, you are asked, it's strongly recommended, that you not read or write, which is kind of a secondary experience, but rather just be with yourself as you are here. Not make telephone calls or leave the retreat grounds unless there's some kind of an emergency, of course, then that's appropriate. Basically, not to do anything except be with yourself. And like the stone lotus petals set in the ground near the Bodhi tree, to let each step and each plate of food, each time you take off your clothes or put on your shoes, become a sacred act. Be worthy of your attention. Be a place, sitting, walking, breathing, being mindful, to reawaken that which is beautiful in yourself. Thank you. Well, I offer my own welcome to all of you. I'd like to uh, speak tonight a little bit about the three refuges. And the context out of which we're talking about this is as a way to support ourselves. It if understood correctly, adds to our self-confidence to be able to do and to master and to look at these things that come up and arise within us. And also it's a form of support. It allows us to lean a little bit on each one of us here because this practice is not done in isolation, even though it's a very solitude practice. So to look at the refuge of the Buddha, taking refuge in the Buddha, it's traditionally described as allowing the potential within within us to flower. But that always felt a little too remote for me. I wanted to know where the Buddha was now. And so, in that context, our ability to have a warm and appreciative heart is the Buddha. Our ability to care and to embrace 
and to soften and to allow. That's the potential of the Buddha being manifested. And for some of you who have now done a series of courses over a series of, over many years, and sometimes there's a little cynicism that can come because you've been doing this for so long and you wonder where the action is now. But if you're feeling a little closer to things than you did when you started, if your heart warms a little more to life, just as it is, then you can rest in f to the fact that growth is occurring and that the Buddha is manifesting. And perhaps that in itself could be sufficient. Accessing the potential to be aware, to contact things, to be alive, that's the Buddha. Some of you have years and years of practice and some of you this is the first course you've done. And yet, in that moment of awareness, if we are aware, if we meet that potential and access it, then we have set for 100,000 years, regardless of whether this is our first retreat or not. And if we're absent-minded, distracted, then regardless of the number of years of preparation for that moment, we have always been asleep. And so each one of us have the same potential moving into this retreat, regardless of the experience that we bring to it. So to think of our, the Buddha, to take refuge in that. Is there any one of you that can't love? And to sit with that, to assure yourself, to, in moments of despair and in moments, which there will be a few in this retreat, of doubting, self-doubting, to rest on that for your self-confidence. To take refuge in the Dharma, for me means to rest with the things that wake us, to take refuge in the fact that life is there to participate in, to make contact with. It's the truth, always in front of our eyes. If we can just get through our minds to touch it. So the truth is all around us. I think the Buddha himself said, if you want to know me, know the Dharma. So the Buddha and the Dharma meet when we contact that truth, the potential and the truth of things. To take refuge in that. And finally, to take refuge as a part of a community in the Sangha. I think Christ said, when two or three are gathered in my name, I will be there. And I've always wondered why he didn't say when one person was there, he would be there. And although I'm not sure of the answer, I believe it has to do with the fact that we live in relationship that we are somewhat dead without it. And that if we're really interested, we participate. If we're really interested in self-growth, it means participation. Until that happens, the juice may be gone. And that we can't do this by ourselves. 
We need each other. For, as the Buddha said, every person is a spiritual contact. So to take refuge in that, the company of other people. And if it's helpful to actually do so in your mind, I take refuge in the Buddha, I take refuge in the Dharma, I take refuge in the Sangha. It's interesting because this practice takes both sanity and the ability to be a little insane. That is, it takes a firm sense of who we are. But we can't be so transfixed by who we are that we can't become something more than that. And our potential is much more than our limited self-definitions. And so we meet this weekend and throughout this week to explore that potential, to touch the mystery of that which is yet to be known to us, to access that out of faith. We're called upon to act out of faith and to be able to rest with the faith of our potential is really the evolution of our growth this week together. Thank you. It's an honor for me to be here with you all. An honor because I don't think there's anything more special, Jack used the word sacred, that we can do in our lives than to come to touch ourselves with the intention of healing. It feels especially an honor in a world that is torn with wars, with tremendous hunger and pain. It feels to me that we don't just sit here for ourselves but that we sit here also for the world. For each moment, we reorientate ourselves back to ourselves. We do it not just for ourselves, but for all beings everywhere. I truly believe and feel that we're deeply interconnected. That the story of the hundredth monkey is not just a story, but truly expresses the reality of our energies, deeply interconnecting and transforming each other on levels that we're not always conscious of. To come together and to sit at the turning of the darkness into the light at the beginning of a new year feels to me an especially important time for us to bring about into the universe the healing energy. The healing energy 
of quietness and of opening into ourselves. This opening is not about the agendas that we carry of how we think it should be. It's not about having good meditations. It's not about having pleasant experiences, deep rhythms of breath, or ease and joy in walking. It's not about thinking we should have certain feelings and not others, but rather it's about opening to what the process is. It is coming into relationship with what's there, and we don't know what's there. It is an unknown, and our greatest challenge is to come to meet it this unknown, ourselves, without an agenda of how we think it, would, it should be. I love the story of a man walking down the street and coming across the Buddha. He was transfixed with the energy of the Buddha and came up to him in a rush and said, Sir, are you a great philosopher? And the Buddha said, no. Well, are you a great teacher then? And the Buddha said, no. Well, are you a great spiritual yogi? And the Buddha said, no. And in exasperation, this man said, well, what are you? And the Buddha said, I'm awake. He didn't say, I have had these extremely wonderful experiences. He didn't say, my walking is really cool. <laughs> he said, I'm awake. I'm there to listen in to my process, to this unknown, whatever it is. It is in this listening into, this opening into, what arises for us, that the healing comes about. And this healing is also not experienced directly as pleasant sensations necessarily. This healing comes and is expressed in wisdom, in seeing clearly what our truth is. And it is in this wisdom and the seeing that the tremendous healing this universe needs is born for us here and born for the world. May we each here come into this healing, not only for ourselves, but for all beings everywhere. So in a moment we'll do the first um, meditation instructions. Why don't you, if you wish, take a just half a minute or a minute to stand up and stretch in your place. To be here in really this space we're creating now, this sacred time of going from the last year into a new year and really allowing our attention and intention to, as Irina said, bring it from this out into the vast uh, interconnectedness of all beings. And in this process, we begin simply by this attunement, this form of intimacy with who and how we are. First, allowing our attention to just be with ourselves, with what, what is happening, what is here for us in this moment. In this vast space, 
allowing ourselves to experience first this, this temple, this body, allowing us to experience tensions that may be our posture, and slowly letting, letting ourselves experience ourselves. Feeling our shoulders and our back and our buttocks on the pillows or chairs or benches, our legs and knees. And in the center of all this is this breath rising and passing, the impermanent process of moment to moment connectedness. without grasping at it, but simply allowing our attention to be with this. Allowing yourself to connect directly in the belly or in the chest. Or the in and out, the nostrils. Finding a place that you can experience it.
allowing the body to be relaxed and the mind alert and soft. you find the mind wandering off, gently bring it back. Back to the breath. You can use the labeling of in and out at the nostrils if you find that helpful. Or if you're observing your breath in the abdomen or chest, rising and falling, keeping the words very simple, directing it simply to the sensations of the breath. The actual experience.
if you find yourself spacing out or wandering off, very gently allow your attention to again begin again. This just being with the breath. Just allowing yourself in this moment to just stay with the sensations of the breath and allowing yourself to be soft in your body and in your mind. Being able to let yourself really completely arrive here. <clears throat> 